It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After the Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Hey, Suba. Hey, Amelie. How are you? Well, we have just spent about <laughs> three nights working together, which has actually been really fun. It has been fun. It has yeah, been. we've had lots of breaks together in the mess and interesting conversations. Very interesting conversations. But let me bring it back to we've done three night shifts. Mm. I'm on medicine and Suba is on A&E. Yeah, there was such a delay. I was like, what am I on? Yeah, I was like, come on, Suba. This is your daily job. <laughs> so, yeah, Suba's now on A&E as we keep going on about it. Yeah, um, we talk about it so much. Because it's so interesting and we <laughs> see so many stories all the time. Yeah, it's a great job, like, actually. crazy filling that gap. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, it's been a great set of nights. I've pretty much been free most of the night. She basically just comes to A&E and just, like, loiters in the corridors. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? What are you doing? And I'm like, guys, I'm back again. <laughs> and the whole A&E team have been like, clearly we're not referring you guys enough patients. Like, you guys don't have enough work to do. But can you check how much the A&E team loves me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. they don't mind yeah. you. They tolerate you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's like really good camaraderie on A&E. No one's yeah. lazy. Everyone yeah. gets, well, let me, most people aren't lazy. <laughs> Everyone gets their work done. Absolutely. And you just like get on with it. And patients can be crazy, patients can be yeah. cool, chill, yeah. but the team just gets on with it. I and the it. nicest thing about A&E is that your team is really centralised. So, Because one thing I don't like about night shifts is mm. the loneliness. Like, you're sometimes the only person roaming around these, like, seven floors and the dark yep. corridors. And yep. once in a while you come across a porter and, like, you try and strike <laughs> up... Comp- Hi, Danny! <laughs> yeah, and you're like, hey, hey, how's it going? How's your night? And they're just like trying to go somewhere <laughs> and you tail them for like about five meters and you're like wait hold on i was supposed to go somewhere else and you know things get a bit weird oh, up there but it's um, funny and it really affects what you do before night shifts so i was sleeping as you do um and then i got on my ipad put on netflix and i wanted to watch a show so i'm like going through all the shows and all the recently recommended and i'm like okay not in the mood to watch 13 Reasons Why, watched all of Terrace House, my favorite Japanese reality TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came on to this thing, some crazy woman had like murdered men and like sent them into like banks to rob banks for her with these big bombs around their necks. 
but I was too scared to watch it because I was like, okay, I'm going to be by myself in the hospital <laughs> at night, roaming down corridors. Someone could like kill me, jump out at me. So I wasn't trying to watch anything jumpy this weekend. Yeah, true. Particularly on that, you know, that ground floor part of our hospital, May. That place, like... That is a, a murder scene. It, genuinely, it's a murder scene, that place. <laughs> but no, it's been cool. And you just came back from a trip, didn't you? We both did. Yeah, we both did. So I went to, we both went to two very different islands. So I was in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in Bifa, mate. <laughs> I love that we really assimilated with yeah. the, the crowds, clearly. Yeah, how was your trip? It was good. It was good. So I went on a Hindu. So I was like really apprehensive about the group I was going with just because girls that you just don't know. But we had a really good time. Um, and I really loved Ibiza. I really want to go back again. Um, and Mate, just- you made it to Ibiza. Just thank your lucky stars you didn't end up in Bournemouth. I, I kid, I did enjoy Bournemouth. Oh my gosh, because you didn't make it. Yeah, wait, I don't think I've actually told this story here no. before. So my friend had a Hindu just ran the sort of Easter bank holiday weekend. When I was in Portugal. Mm, Yeah, always traveling. Um, And the flights got canceled because of the Stansted like bus catching fire thing. (laughs) And, you know, we ended up rerouting and going to Bournemouth. So (laughs) Amelie made it though. So I did, I did on my extremely cheap, cheap flight. Can I just say, actually, what's interesting in terms of the feedback we've got for this show, people keep coming up to me. And these are people who I thought were my friends saying that Super's voice is better than mine. And it's just rocking me to the core. You're just lucky I need you, Super, for this show. (laughs) Well, you know, if you want to tune into my sultry, dulcet tones, (laughs) maybe I'll be doing a spin-off, who knows? Catch me in New Zealand. (laughs) So, Super, we came to talk about something that was iconic this year, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been on the mouths and the lips of everyone in this country and mm-hmm. particularly in Ireland. Mm-hmm. We wanted to talk about the recent events on the 23rd of April when the abortion referendum took place. Yeah. So um, it was really obviously in my face when I was in Ireland, mm. seeing all the posters and almost the kind of like Brexit vibes where... What do you mean? In the sense that, you know, during Brexit, obviously it's a huge public campaign. And you, everywhere you went, you were seeing posters. People had, you know, banners up in there, like, you know, living room windows, bedroom windows, whatever, stickers on their car bumpers and all that. But actually conversation on the ground was pretty thin. Like other than maybe you talking to your own friendship circle. How many days did you go before the referendum? Literally, um, well, I I was there, I flew back on Thursday and the referendum was on the Friday. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I was literally there the week leading up to the referendum. Mm. Um, and I was speaking to, you know, a girl I met out there, a French girl who'd moved out there to uh, teach there for a, a year. And she was saying how it was very, like, uh, taboo to actually ask someone openly about mm. how they were going to vote. Because obviously it was, really, it was a really polarising almost um, referendum and, like, people are very protective of their uh, opinions and beliefs about it. Mm. Understandably so, but... Um, yeah, very much Brexit vibes in that way that everyone had really strong opinions on mm-hmm. which way they were going to go. Yeah. And there wasn't a huge amount of conversation between the two yeah. groups. And I wonder if that's because you were just coming in as a tourist. Yeah. Um, rather than having any like real ties. connections or ties to Ireland. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting and so, so different from Brexit mm. was the fact that the information was clear. 
So <laughs> if you're them. voting yes or no, you know what you're voting for. And yeah. what I think was so dope um, that was put in place by the Irish government, I think it was Irish government, they put in a website and you can Google it, abortion referendum mm-hmm. island comes up as like one of the top results and it tells you exactly what it means to vote yes and exactly what it means to vote no. Then the information behind all of that is the report that the government put Mm. out. Mm. In 2016, it was the assembly of the 99 members. Yeah, so that was a group of um, people that basically took views from lots of different groups, wasn't it? Yeah. And used that to sort of formulate clear sort of policy yeah basically policy recommendations to guide you know what that would mean what it would Mm -hmm. mean if it was passed what it would mean if it wasn't passed and how that would affect law and actually affect people's lives on the ground yeah and what's also interesting is that the referendum was around a central question and that central question super how you use it Sorry, Suba has it written down. Mm. So the central question of which you speaketh kind of <laughs> is it's very historical, isn't it? I mean, we've got to go back to the beginning of when Ireland wrote abortion related stuff into their constitution almost. Mm-hmm. So in 1983, so actually, I mean, you know, it's going back further than that. Like in the 1800s, basically, abortion yeah. was illegal everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ireland kept on to a lot of those conservative yeah. views probably also due to religion, but also like the culture of Ireland at the time as well. The culture is a huge thing Mm -hmm. here. Because actually sort of in the 1950s or 60s, I would say a lot of European countries made movements towards legally including sort of um, either abortion acts or, um, you know, decriminalizing abortion or whatever whatever else. Or exemptions to abortion being fully illegal. Yeah, so that's sort of a lot of countries did that. But in 1983, there was a big push for something called the Eighth Amendment. which was added to the Irish constitution, which gave the unborn fetus equal rights to life as the mother, thus making abortion absolutely illegal. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the crux of understanding this whole like historical overlay Mm -hmm. to what led up to the events that just happened uh, a few weeks ago. So that's the question, whether you believe or agree with that statement, whether that's yes or whether that's no. Which is heavy. (laughs) It's heavy. Yeah. But I think it was a great day for Ireland um, Mm. because actually when we look Mm. around the history and the real effect it had on women, Mm. it's the real effect it's had on children um, and just the country as a whole. Yeah. It's mind blowing. And I didn't realize there was so much information out there um, about people's real personal stories. Yeah, absolutely. And even um, when you think about the huge sort of cases or Mm -hmm. real life events that Mm -hmm. happened in Ireland that made massive steps towards the referendum becoming a real life thing. And all these things that shaped now, of course, the way in which Irish law and, and culture is changing. Yeah. Why don't we start going through them, actually? Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like we can't even talk about this without talking about Savita, right? Yes, but why don't we go back? Because yeah, let's start chronologically. Yeah, 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 let's let's keep this timely. <laughs> so, Amelie, do you want to tell us about Case X? Yes, okay. In uh, my year of birth. Is that too much information about myself? I don't know. <laughs> 1992. <laughs> Super likes to rub this in my face because I was born in 1990. And I'm like, 1890. You're going to age into, yes, also. <laughs> All right, cool. So Case X tells us about a 14-year-old girl who was raped. Um, After she was raped, she talked about feeling suicidal and wanted to kill herself because she didn't want to go through with the pregnancy. Obviously, there's a lot of, like a myriad of different issues around that as well. Mm. But the crux of this 
case was the fact that she was feeling suicidal. Mm. At that time, you weren't even allowed to leave Ireland and go to England. So a lot of people historically went to the borders of Liverpool by mm. ferry. Mm. So you weren't allowed to go to England to get an abortion. Because on your return, you would be criminally charged. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this case really changed um, Ireland's viewpoints on what it means to have an abortion mm. and what it means not to, mm. and what might be morally acceptable in different cases, yeah. which I find really interesting because actually when they're looking at cases of incest or when they're looking at cases of rape, mm. there's a much more lenient view on, I suppose, the rights of the fetus and yeah. whether they do have rights or whether actually the mother is... takes priority almost Takes priority yeah, yeah yeah um and actually it was the first step in paving sort of pathway to having loopholes almost around mm. the or exemptions yeah yeah exemptions to the otherwise very stringent irish abortion laws mm-hmm. um and what's also interesting there it wasn't just even just accessing an abortion it was having legal sorry access to information about abortions yeah 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 which is mind-blowing because we always talk about patient's autonomy and you can only have autonomy or capacity if you have knowledge right absolutely and like how can you make an informed decision if you don't if you can't be informed (laughs) (laughs) super dropped her mic yeah enough said (laughs) (laughs) end of episode no but it's interesting so that case really looked at yeah if a woman is suicidal and then she should be able to have an abortion or at least legal access to information about abortions. Yeah. Not in Ireland, but out of Ireland. So she yeah. should be able to travel for it. Yeah. But you were going to talk about what happened in 2012. So I'll leave that to you. So, Savita. So in 2012, there was a case of um, this young Indian dentist who went through an absolutely terrible situation, which I'll start to get into. But it basically sparked... Um, the sort of the change like it paved the way for what you know what we've just seen a few weeks ago the changes that have come mm. and she in a lot of ways was um the face of the sort of pro-choice campaigners yeah. so to sort of give you a bit of background about her um like i said young indian dentist she was pregnant yeah 17 weeks at the time 17 weeks so she was quite a ways you know ways through the pregnancy and mm-hmm. unfortunately she started to have um you know back pain she then started to have some bleeding went into hospital clearly she was starting to have a miscarriage yeah. miscarriages and- at that point in time are going to be complicated and complex mm-hmm. because of the how developed the fetus is yeah and how much it's like adhering to the walls of your uterus precisely and also you know miscarriages are nasty experiences Mm -hmm. like they're mentally traumatic they're physically traumatic Mm -hmm. as your body is physically expulsing yeah like expelling Mm -hmm. you know the the fetal remains um and it's awful It's, it's actually so horrible but um this poor girl was going through and it was a prolonged miscarriage she was bleeding heavily and if you think about it like you've got tissue that's that's dying and necrosing as tissue does yeah um whilst you also got you know the neck of your womb opens your cervix Mm -hmm. is opened and creates a passageway for possible bacteria to spread up from like you know the the vaginal canal etc up into the womb and into the bloodstream because it's obviously like a really blood rich and actually like a a perfect feeding ground for bacteria it's like everything they love is there you've got tissue you've got nutrients you've got blood you've got constant blood flow like Mm. it's a dangerous place to be 
Yeah, but do you know what's actually difficult when I think about this case mm. is as a doctor, sometimes it's very difficult to know exactly how bad a situation is. Sometimes mm. you've just got observations to look at. Okay, temperature went up. Yeah. Okay, blood pressure went down. Yeah. Um, heart rate went up. But then you're also dealing with a pregnant woman. So her observations are going to be abnormal anyway. And also there's an overlay of her being distressed and losing blood. And those mm. things are going to make your blood pressure go down, your pulse go up. Um, and, you know, all those things are difficult. And she's a yeah. young, fit girl. So you compensate very, very well until you don't. Yeah. And when you get to that point, it's like the point of no return, which is why with young people, when they get even slightly sick, I feel like we're literally throwing everything at them, like go, 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 because yeah. they don't show that they're sick until they're too sick. And what's also interesting that you said that now, I remember I was reading a lot about um, the perception of black and brown patients, mm. um, particularly after Serena Williams weirdly had a baby and yeah. she wasn't actually given enough pain relief. And she said that she felt like she was crying out for it, but everyone thought she was like strong enough. And, and she like, be able to hack it tight. Yeah, exactly. And obviously that has, because she's a tennis player, people must think, she, yeah, she's strong and she looks fit. But also the fact of her being a black woman as well also has an impact on the way doctors see her. And I wonder whether it, there was anything to do with the perceptions mm -hmm. of her as an Indian immigrant. That's how they always talk about her mm -hmm. whenever you read any of the cases. Mm -hmm. Whether that had anything to do with the way that she could express how much pain she was just for the culture that we live in. Because yeah. we even see that with our patients from day to day, don't we? No, you're right. But back to what you were saying, sorry. Yeah, so she's going through this terrible miscarriage and it was prolonged. I mean, it went on for days, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm. Um, and ultimately it resulted in her having... A, a, so the difficulty was that the doctors weren't able to go in and perform an evacuation of the products in the womb because mm -hmm. of the fact that the fetus still had a heartbeat. heartbeat. And as per their law, that would be an abortion. So mm -hmm. they could not do it. And it all resulted in her becoming septic and having a septic miscarriage, at which point they were able to sort of help her. The sepsis had really taken root. She went into multi-organ failure and she very tragically died it's difficult especially when you it's put crazy. such hard and fast rules yeah. okay baby has a heartbeat therefore baby is still viable when we all know that's not the case no and it becomes very sort of like um almost it's very defensive medicine isn't it yeah and it's narrow sort of thinking but if if you've got criminal law like loitering over your head mm. it's it must it must i can't imagine how difficult it must have been for those doctors to kind of you know to, to see what's obviously going on yeah and feel like your hands are tied by the law like you know, and to see a patient that's... And she was literally begging the well, medical professionals to let her have an abortion. Mm. And I think it got to the point where they were begging to just be like, they wanted to leave and go somewhere else to be able... Like, leave the country. But she was too sick yeah. to be able to board a flight and go elsewhere. Yeah. And imagine it's that difficulty, her isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like patients at the end of their life when you really want them to have a peaceful death in their own home, surrounded by family members. Yeah. But actually you're like, okay, are they even safe enough to travel? And are they well yeah. enough to travel? Yeah. Then actually you have to keep them in hospital sometimes. Yeah. So once you've missed the boat, you yeah. might miss the boat full stop. Exactly. Mm. It's, so, it's so, yeah, it's such a terrible shame. And also I remember when I was in medical school and when we started our obs and gynae placement and someone said to me like, the biggest cause of death of women in the developing world, mm. so as to speak, is pregnancy mm. and I was like mind blown because you know like 
there's such a culture of thinking like a pregnancy is so natural pregnancy is um you know why should it ever be dangerous because that's what you're born to do you're born to be able to bear children and bring them out healthily but actually pregnancy is sometimes you know historically thinking back it may have been the the last thing you ever did in your life give birth to another life and then that's it and you Mm. die in the process that is crazy yeah the fact that now we live in this developed world where pregnancy is generally for most people safe and fine and not dangerous is like it's amazing and that's Mm. fantastic yeah it's interesting actually you said that because whenever you come into contact with like an anesthetist for example Mm. and they're trying to prep someone for surgery Mm. pregnancy is such a huge risk factor to even being safe enough for surgery because what has just happened to that woman is like a big massive trauma to her body yeah so her blood is like shooting off more clots than it ordinarily yeah. would her physiology is completely altered yeah like even mentally as well you're really affected by the changes be it hormones. Hormon- hormonal or whether it's the way you're now adapting to your new life or the release of the hormones should yeah, we go like, back yeah we veered <laughs> off we veered off there so savita so savita was like a huge turning point almost mm-hmm. and a huge um sort of step forward in the path that paved the way to where we're at now. So next of all, there was an act that was put in place. It's called the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act um, in Ireland. And essentially it put some stipulations in protecting women such as Savita. Yeah, so the three key um, points which they sort of uh, laid out in the act were, so under these circumstances, they permitted medical professionals to perform abortions. And mm-hmm. that was one, risk of loss of life and physical illness, um, risk of loss of life and physical illness in an emergency situation, or risk of loss of life from suicide. Yeah. So now there were some other caveats in which, you know, extreme circumstances in which um, doctors were able to perform abortions. But I think um, we read an interesting statistic about this. So what was interesting in like 2012 or 2013 to 2015, so after the case of Savita and this law was put in place, actually the number of abortions that were performed in certain areas dropped. And I'm talking about like in one province from like 50 to 16. Yeah, which is um, kind of like, contradictory you would expect it to be um almost the other way like suddenly now maybe women that were going abroad to have certain abortions were now staying in the country to have them but maybe what it suggests more is that doctors were now more afraid uh, oh yeah were they more afraid to do it Mm. because of the legal sanctions yeah or is it a case that because you know i feel like we came across some interesting interesting statistics as well that in in most countries Mm. irrespective of whether abortion was illegal or illegal the rates remain generally the same, the same mm. which suggests that actually the legalization of it doesn't change whether women are seeking it or not seeking it. Yeah. The important thing then is just to create a safe abortion process for women who require it or want it or need it. Yeah. And the priority in our sort of um, approach to abortion practices shouldn't necessarily be, you know, banging our heads together about what should be okay, what shouldn't be okay, or those sorts of things, but more about how are we actually supporting our women to make the appropriate and right choices for themselves? How are we supporting them to feel confident in the decisions they're making? And are we are we giving them the support they need after and before the procedure? Can I ask you a question, Suba? Yeah. So obviously you've gone through med school, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> but 
through your time in medical school and mm-hmm. as a woman who's grown up also through medical school and now is working as a doctor, do you feel as though your opinions on the abortion debate per se have changed at all? Basically, I, I want you to ask me this question as well, but you go ahead <laughs> first. Um, that's an interesting question. I feel like maybe my views have become a bit more enlightened and okay. perhaps I've become a bit more... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Consciously aware of why I have certain opinions, mm. but I wouldn't say at the heart of it my approach to it or like my my sort of instinctive gut feelings toward how I feel about something or feel about the concept of abortion has has not changed Mm -hmm. Um, what would you say your gut feeling is or what do you think the center of your ethos is for me I've always thought that a woman in that position should have the right to choose Mm -hmm. what she wants to do Mm -hmm. um because the reality is that for the next 10 months she will be going through the pregnancy and then for the next 18 years she will be raising the child she's got to make that decision for herself and whatever however she makes that decision the best thing to do is to help her make an informed and a mm. and like the the right decision that she wants to make yeah that's to me is what I've always thought is important sure. I suppose that's that's what I find difficult with it with the language you use around abortion whenever we use pro-choice and pro-life I wonder if we just inherited mm. that from like crazy mm. old America when you look at the language that they use, they're saying, mm. okay, you can either be pro-choice mm. um, and encourage a woman to have autonomy over the decision she makes and the autonomy over her body. Yeah. Or black and white, you can be pro-life and you say yeah. the fetus must survive at whatever cost, even if that's to the detriment of ladies like Savita or to the detriment or the suicide of girls like Case X. Yeah. So I suppose I found that difficult because actually I feel almost like both 
both have merits and I think yeah. we probably agree on this and I think actually a lot of our population agree on this as well yeah actually what we want is autonomy for people yeah. but we also need people to have the access to safe abortions yeah because at the end of the day how can I choose for someone else that this is acceptable or this isn't breach it and what's actually interesting I think my views really like changed or I had a turning point really when, okay I suppose more when I did ethics and law yeah. as my master's degree during med school. Wait, wait. So give us a give us a rewind. So take okay. us through like your opinions and your views on this and how they changed and what shaped that. Okay. So demographics. Amelie Inusa, <laughs> born in 1990 in Nigeria, around a Nigerian family and brought up in churches in the UK. Mm. But I basically had a pretty like churchy gr- upbringing. And She's a good Christian girl. <laughs> Looking for a good Christian boy. (laughs) No, but um, so I grew up in a British Nigerian family. Went to churches like growing up still now. And I suppose the the narrative then was you do not murder. You do not have an abortion. You do not have sex before marriage. So this is interesting. Was the whole abortion thing spoken about with you when you were growing up? Or was it unsaid? I think you just understood that you're not to murder and that directly correlated with abortion abortion but then we were talking about this last week i suppose the difficulty now is that if you're saying people should not have abortions mm. people do not have the same belief system so let's say i wasn't to engage in abortion i'm just hypothetically speaking then actually my upbringing might actually have told me that God is with me and I can have a baby and actually everything will be there for me and actually this is what's meant to be. Whereas a woman without that belief system might actually feel as though now she doesn't have that support system, she doesn't have a God or a support in place to carry her through that pregnancy. So actually I I became more thoughtful about actually what different decisions mean for different people. And I think it's important that we provide safe abortion and safe health practices for women across the country, regardless of what their beliefs are. And that's not to say that I am pro-abortion or against abortion. It's just to say, actually, we need to look at the individual women in each case and make sure we inform her well for what it means to have or not have um, and really support her because no one wants to have an abortion or have an unplanned pregnancy exactly and I think this is I feel like even though maybe we come at it from different angles I think we both reach a similar point yeah and that point being like you said and we come from a very similar point as well yeah but you know the the ultimate base base sort of line Mm. of that being that women should have access to safe abortions because the reality is that no matter what you think about it what i think about it what what we would choose for ourselves what we would want for our friends could change day to day irrespective of any of that some desperate girl out there is gonna see an abortion as her only option her only choice in her mind whether that may or may not be true and whether that may be different like you say if she had a different support system Mm -hmm. or if she had access to maybe some counseling and access to services that would help her Mm -hmm. maybe that would be different but irrespective there's someone out there that thinks that's the only thing they can do and they will do that by any means Mm -hmm. and I remember being, I was, I felt like I was really young, maybe like 10 years old okay. and learning about like Victorian abortions and hearing about those backstreet, like horrific abortion Knitting needles. Yeah. yeah, needles, coat hangers, like just any old implement that people would use just to like carve it out of themselves. And mm. you think about 
the desperation that it takes to turn up with some sort of metal skewer. And also, I mean, that's also considering society back then where to have a child out of wedlock was basically like your death knell. Yeah, but also women are making decisions because you can't afford another child or you didn't plan to have another child in your life. Yeah, yeah, there's a myriad of different reasons. And actually, like you say, what it boils down to is that whoever is making that decision should be able to do it without fear of putting their life on the line for this. And that's actually what the law is almost saying, isn't it? It's kind of agreeing with that, that if it's coming to the point where a woman would literally risk her life to have this abortion, then the debate about, you know, um, equal rights of life to fetus and mother really does kind of meet, it kind of becomes like a balancing point, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because if this woman is literally willing to give up her life in order to not have this child, then it just becomes kind of contentious. And that's yeah. that's the point that you reach. So to go back on the degree I did in ethics and law, mm. there was, because we were surrounded by doctors, it was doctors and medical students and lawyers who took that course. Oh, so it's a really nice mixed, yeah. um, mixed group. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that we discussed in our classes in ethics and law was conscientious objection. Essentially what that looks at is whether a health professional can decide to partake in discussions around abortion, termination, and what might be best practice for this lady in her early pregnancy. Yeah. And it was really interesting and it brought up lots of different conversation. Yeah, so break down actually in practicality what conscientious objection constitutes. Okay, so I suppose it looks as doctors and healthcare professionals as individuals with their own free will and their own liberty and their ability to make autonomous decisions. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you did not agree with abortions or you felt as though actually every person should only be offered an abortion if their life was imminent risk, for example. Fine, yeah. So like putting the law aside and it's just your sort of personal opinions on it. Yeah, whether you wanted to bring those personal opinions into work and say, actually, every woman shouldn't do that. Therefore, I won't engage in the conversation to take yourself outside of even talking to those women and like passing on to colleagues, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically what that looks like. Which is something that is allowed in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I remember when we were in medical school, like we spoke about that and people have their own objections to it and you're not obliged to. So if a woman comes to you, like you, you know, you, you can pass her on to a colleague of yours who's happy to to proceed with that. Yeah, because basically the law in the UK states that two doctors need to sign off to say that a woman can have an abortion yeah. in order to for her to go ahead with the practice, whether yeah. that's a medical abortion, so yeah. taking pills, or whether that's a surgical, surgical. abortion, yeah. so the suction method. Because yeah. um, in the UK, it's still, it's, it's part of criminal law. Which I, you know, which has been a big thing recently, actually, the whole conversation about decriminalizing abortion in the UK, because at the moment it's um, the Abortion Act of like 1964, 19 something, 19, let me just like mumble the rest. Um, That was uh, like an exemption. But like you said, two doctors have to sign you off or two two medical yeah. professionals. So you're have allowed to, sign you to off. not participate in those conversations full stop if you want to. Yeah. And some doctors and um, just don't yeah. so that will be gps obstetricians those are the people that you attend to come to yeah and uh what do you think about that personally you mean yeah mm, i think everyone should have the autonomy to engage in conversations they want to yeah i as a health professional i always like to empower my patients and give them the information yeah. so i would be perfectly happy explaining what the process is 
involve. I would also want to just talk to them to explore their ideas around yeah. what they want to do with this unplanned pregnancy, for example. Yeah. So I would just be interested to have that conversation. And I think it's important for people to sit down with doctors who care and sit down with doctors who can talk. And I mm. see myself as one of those doctors. So I would engage in that conversation. Basically. I 100% agree with you. Like, I think it's you know, irrespective of, I mean, obviously that, that's you saying that like you're willing to have that conversation. Not necessarily everyone is, yeah. but that's great because um, e- whether or not you're willing to like sign, sign off, off or not question. sign off yeah. to be able to like even offer an opportunity for that woman to like talk about where she's coming from, what she's thinking and just like have a place to sort of safely speak about it without fear of like judgment or consideration, like or someone trying to like enforce their views on her mm. is really important. Do you know what's funny? Like, as, it's not even funny, but as doctors, I suppose one thing that I never realised would be part of our reality is dealing with subjects that don't directly affect us. So when I think about to my nights last night, yeah. um, I was in the hospital and there were two patients that died that I had to certify. And I spoke to one family member that I'd known um, through that patient's admission. And when I was in medical school, I don't think I ever thought that I would be dealing with such like pertinent, important, life-changing issues all the time because we're actually quite young to be discussing death and be discussing end of life and be discussing whether you should have termination um, or even just exploring complex life issues that just don't directly affect us because we're mainly like middle-class, well-educated, we're coming generic from- people. <laughs> we haven't had these crazy life experience really. Yeah. So... I don't know. I feel like actually for me, like that was one of like, so I was a big Grey's Anatomy fan. Like, Mm. right. So when I was, I think we all, yeah, yeah, I was obsessed with it. And like one of my favorite things about Grey's Anatomy. Such a disappointment when you work for the NHS, you're like, where is McDreamy? Yeah. Where's McDreamy? Where is that cute doctor? Like I'm looking around, (laughs) literally I have gone through all the guys with my eyes and yeah. And I ain't seeing you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I always thought, you know, like you think about Grey's Anatomy, 90% of it is drama and about like 10% of it is medicine. Mm-hmm. And the 90% of it that's drama is like, okay, maybe like 50% of it is like personal drama. Okay, But you get a solid 40% that's like medical, like hospital drama. Yeah. like whether that's, you know. Like internal politics or whether that's yeah. like real life patient conversations, family conversations. Exactly. Or whether that's young people coming in and wanting certain things and their families wanting other things or, mm-hmm. you know, your Jehovah's Witnesses or- Yeah, know. Jehovah's Witness thing comes up so often. Mate, it's real <laughs> life. I thought it was an Oski station. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm living that daily. Yeah, is what are you going to do? Your patient is insanguinating. Yeah. Are you going to give them blood? Oh no, like, they're Jehovah's Witness. Suddenly they whip out that advanced patient directive <laughs> yeah. that's tucked in their pocket and you're like, well- but what's funny, you have a lot more time in real life yeah, yeah, than, it's not, it's not like than the it's medical dramas. Like yeah. Um, oh. But my point that I'm trying to make is um, the interesting thing is like where, where you may be lacking in, say, life experience. Mm. Actually, your life experience doesn't contribute to the patient's life experience. No. And you're not there to be this like wise owl that's lived through like Mm-mm. centuries of this and is here to hand out pearls of wisdom. You're there to actually just hold your patient's hand. Yeah. And, and listen. Empower them to make the decision they want to make. And mm. you're just there for them to kind of like bounce off, like see, you know, and just test things through and yeah. you tell them the realities of the practicalities of what they want. Mm. That's really what you're what you're there for. Yeah. 
Because I suppose the only expertise you really have is the fact that we understand what happens to a large cohort of people and what people can expect at different courses of illness or pathology. So that's what we're able to offer to people because they're coming with their own personal experience. But what we're bringing to the table is essentially what happens to several women um, over a course of period of time and what they can expect if they were to go down one path or the other path. So we're meant to be there as like information bearers and like a listening ear. And the reality is, is that say, even if you had experienced things that now someone's coming to you to ask advice for, just because you've experienced something doesn't mean you're in a position to give specific advice because your experience may be completely different to someone else's experience. Mm -hmm. So who are you to sort of tell this person how their experience is going to be? Yeah. And that's actually almost misleading. Yeah. So... When we came here on our way, we were reading that story in the BMJ. And there was a doctor, I think she's an obstetrician. Yeah. Essentially, she had met this lady. She's a UK doctor. So she met this lady who was homeless. I think she was also a drug user, maybe a sex worker. Anyway, she had like less than optimal like social situation where she could like bring up a child in a healthy way. (sighs) So I think she was 13 weeks pregnant at the time. Mm. So that's a time when the fetus has done a lot of his development already mm. and actually where um the contents will be closely adhering to the wall so mm-hmm. whether you take a medical abortion so taking the pills yes it might work and be successful but yeah. actually you have the risk that all it's- the products might not come away easily and then you'd have to proceed to a surgical yeah. um, you know management anyway Exactly. And also the practicalities of her being a homeless woman. Yeah. She won't be able to take her pills, go home. To a safe place. To a safe place to bleed because you're not just taking pills and then the baby pops out. No, no. You're taking the pills and your stomach is doing... You're you're having cramps. You're having abdominal cramps. Yeah. You'll be in a lot of pain. You'll be bleeding bleeding. profusely. You'll be bleeding products it's not clean yeah. and it's not no. neat and particularly a bit more unsafe for someone who doesn't necessarily live in like yeah. a, a safe place able to or have home. access to quickly come to hospital and taxi say exactly if anything were to go mm. south and that's also interesting because there's such a discrepancy in abortion services or what you can offer different women particularly yeah. in ireland because you'd have to have enough money to be able to have access to the internet have enough money to travel either by ferry or by plane to England to to stay in a hotel room to afford yeah. the services that you want and actually it creates a class divide and a mm-hmm. you know like, like a yeah like a social divide in who can almost afford to pay for an abortion and yeah. who doesn't have a choice mm-hmm. and that also would be eliminated if women could have their abortions in the home country that they're of from course. But back to the um, the story of this homeless lady and yeah. this uh, doctor, this uh, obstetrician. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. What she talked about was the the violence of the abortion at the time. Mm. So she, mm. all the termination. So mm. she was using a suction method. So she was trying to remove the products, and she said mm. a lot of it came away easily, but there was a lot that was just still very much like stuck to the walls. Mm. Um, and she said that it was quite like bloody. It was quite gross, and there was lots of product coming through and she said that time is such a reflective moment for her and she started crying in that um in the theater whilst she was doing the procedure yeah in a way you know the bizarreness of like the sterility of that environment the kind of like constant positive 
you know, air flowing sound and like yeah. the clitter clatter of like metal instruments and like. But the knowledge that you've also got a woman there who's making such a hard decision. Yeah. And she, maybe if she had better social circumstances, maybe she would have yeah. wanted to keep the baby. Yeah, yeah, like we yeah. just don't know what her motivations were. And yeah. but it's just not a simple decision. No. And that's what the doctor really reflected about the fact that everything is so personal to each woman and that we need to start supporting women rather than bashing them for a really hard decision they've got to make yeah and actually like being really reflective about it as well to be able to like process the like complexities of the things that the woman's going through even the complexities that the doctor's going through in, in performing that procedure Totally, totally. So we can't continue or even finish this conversation without talking about the events of last week, which I just, as I said before, think is amazing. The fact that we've come forward with a decision that enables progress for a country. Promotes patient safety. (laughs) (laughs) Soundbite from the GMC. (laughs) yeah. So shall I do the grand reveal? If you do haven't it. heard by now, um, by the way, they overturned the abortion ban. Woohoo. And the vote was 66.4% to 33.6, which is good going. That's not like nobody's sitting on the fence there. No. That was a clear decision saying we're overturning it. We're making a step in that direction. Yeah. And even though we don't know what exactly the law is going to look like, all that we know is that the rights of the mother and the fetus are not the same. That is progress for the country because actually we're not making a moral judgments here. We're no. just looking at the safety of women and the safety of children as well because this, these laws also promote improved information. They also um, ensure that doctors are properly talking to women about safe practices um, and also just looking at the holistic general health of women and thinking about unplanned pregnancies how can we yeah how can we prevent them because as you said people aren't even having these conversations generally on the road yes you might be having it in your like in in your echo chamber my new favorite word (laughs) i learned it from amelie and i use it pretty much at least once every 10 minutes no but it's funny like i was talking to our registrar last night and she's half irish and she was just talking about how she was like crying and so overcome with emotion because she was so nervous that the repeal was not going to go through yeah and actually a lot of irish people that i spoke to were like that were very sort of you know hoping it would be overturned Mm -hmm. were like Oh, like hopefully it will be, but it doesn't seem like it will. That was the attitude they had. But as we said before, it's so fast. There's so and there's many so much things to it. that come off of that, and so many things that Isn't we can. It? Get there's levels to this, mate, mate. I could talk about this all day long, <laughs> but we don't have all day long, and, and we also haven't slept. Yeah, did we acknowledge this? That yeah. we have basically come straight from a shift, chilled in my house, and came here. Yeah, and where is here, Suva? Mare Street Market <laughs> represent. So guys, let's just like think about where we were in episode one, episode two, episode three. So initially we had like some cutesy little studio. It was so cute in little in White City. It was cute. It was cute. But like, you know me, I love like a good aesthetic. So right now we're chilling in Hackney. Our producer John's over there looking Shout cool with his tattoos creeping out. Yes, John. <laughs> And Liv's probably like working on her MacBook, like these hackney cool kids are. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, sorry, we don't see cool people very often. No, in we're like we're like two fish out of water here, to be honest. Mate, um, mate. Hopefully, they don't kick us out. I don't know. <laughs> when they call security, <laughs> real quick, yeah. security to any exactly. area too. We see these girls. They're not drinking coffee. They don't have their MacBooks. They don't have tattoos. Get them out of Hackney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's new space, new. I mean, you know, new recording digs. Yep. We're listening to our voices back on these headphones, which I thought was weird at first. And now I'm loving hearing my own voice. I still feel like I'm Ariana Grande with like one headphone on, one headphone off. Oh, I'm getting Britney vibes. Oh, baby, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But no, it was nice talking to you, Suba. Uh, As always, mate. Too much, actually. We talk too much. Yeah. We just talk Well, we've had like three days of just seeing each other the whole time. Yeah. No, but it's been great. Anyways, I love talking about this this episode and I found your views really fascinating. Thank you, thank you. From an ethics and and law point of view. Yes, yes. Master's degree over here. (laughs) Lol. Cool. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, you know what to do. Follow us podcast subscribe tell your friends give us a review five stars only you know this follow our instagram leave us a comment leave us you know a like yeah i was gonna say like <laughs> tap it like you i don't know what's oh, going wow. with that. oh wow oh wow yeah please I'm, I'm please gonna, stop super yeah. stop stop i'm gonna stop all right thank you guys take care thanks bye, bye. today's episode was recorded at mare street market catch us over on www.afterthelettercom or forward slash after the letters on every social media network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.